0: Disney Deciphered, a podcast helping you save money, time, and stress as you plan your Disney vacation. On today's episode, we talk about Disney math, how Disney tricks you into spending more money, and what you can do to prevent it. Find all episodes of this podcast at DisneyDeciphered.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you find podcasts. we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a positive review. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash DisneyDeciphered, where you'll receive bonus content. You can also support the podcast at no cost to you by using me as your travel agent. Get started by emailing josephchung at travelmation.net. If you have any questions for the podcast, email us anytime, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, tweet at us at WWDeciphered on Twitter, or find us on Facebook and Instagram, Disney Deciphered. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Joe from As the Joe Flies.
1: And I'm Leslie from Trips with Tykes.
0: And welcome back to Disney Deciphered. So on today's episode, Leslie and I were talking the other day about Disney math and how Disney just makes math that should be logical and sensical and makes it all weird. But before we get a little bit deeper into the concept of Disney math, how it causes you to spend more money than you want, but also how you can use an understanding of Disney math to save money or at least be more controlled about the money that you're planning on spending, let's thank a few of our new patrons. So, Leslie, who has signed up for our Patreon that we have to thank today?
1: Today, we're thanking Sheila A. and Jocelyn H., who are our two newest patrons. Thank you so much for your support. If you're interested in supporting the podcast and getting special unfiltered episodes and trip reports in real time, please go to patreon.com slash Disney Deciphered.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. So let's just start by defining, you know, I think Disney math is a little bit of a nebulous term, but when you hear that, Leslie, what are you normally thinking?
1: Like lots of dollar signs. <laughs> that's what I think. <laughs> well,
0: that's a, I mean, that you don't have to add the word math, right? You just say the word Disney. Disney and the, and the dollar, dollar signs. signs. Are there.
1: I mean, the, the core concept to me is that costs at Disney often beget more costs. You go in with a budget, and that budget sets you up to blow your budget.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And then uh, one reason why we started talking about this, you know, there's different aspects of Disney math. There's the aspect where you just start losing track of how much money you're spending and that causes you to spend more. Um, But there's also, you know, we've noticed as we have planned more and more trips or thought more and more about what goes into planning. And also, especially with the addition of Genie Plus, you know, people say that Disney is more nickel and dimey now, and that you have to pay more to get less. And all that is kind of true. But what we've also noticed is It's kind of very subtle, the ways that you are encouraged to spend more money. Um, And so we want to talk a little bit about that today and also um, how you can avoid spending it or at least take the money that you're spending and put it to the best use. So, you know, for me, Disney math is just the math you do in your head that actually makes you prone to spend more money at Disney and telling yourself that it makes sense or is justifiable, where in other contexts, like anywhere else, Uh, In your life, you would never spend that much money. One small reason to start with, and this isn't what we're going to focus on too much today, but a lot of times I find myself at Disney, you know, I've already spent so much money. I just want to splurge a little more for a nicer experience, and then, you know, I just kind of YOLO it, Um, you know, so for some examples uh back in all the way back in episode 169 we talked about a bunch of disney's magical add-ons and splurges there what are some other splurges that you think people sometimes just end up doing cuz you know they already spent so much money at disney already
1: So certainly nicer table service meals, California grill or a character meal at Chef Mickey's or something like that. That's sort of above and beyond what families would feel comfortable spending on any sort of a meal with their kids. I mean, there's definitely an element of keeping up with the Joneses. You know, if you know that your neighbor Has dined at Cinderella's royal table, then, and they've talked it up, you know. And you're coming home, and you want that same story for yourself. Another big one I know a lot of families splurge on for younger kids is Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique. I myself did that once um, in Hong Kong because it was cheaper there, believe it or not. (laughs) But I did splurge nevertheless, and I guess I did too. See,
0: the Disney math tells you it's more worth it (laughs) because it's cheaper. You just flew to Hong Kong. (laughs) Yeah, this is a perfect example. Oh yeah, Yeah. fly to Hong Kong to save a few bucks on Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique. Totally.
1: And then souvenirs as well. I mean, Disney is amazing at churning out new merch that I guess everybody feels like they have to have. And then you get like, we, we are when you come home and you're swimming in it and you're like, why did I buy this again?
0: Yeah. Uh, A lot of droids still in boxes, not uh, being used at home, at least the lightsabers um, you can display. Now I think Disney math definitely factors into when you're going YOLO and when you're spending extra money. But I do feel like that most of the time, you know, When you're splurging, when you're spending extra, you know, when you're just buying that extra ice cream bar and you're paying money to like calm your kids down or whatever. But what we really want to focus most of the episode on is the way that we find ourselves doing Disney math to justify other purchases in a more subtle, sneaky, dare I say, and sometimes insidious way. And I think what we've been realizing is it's because of the way Disney has set up their complicated system that We end up doing Disney math and spending more than we expected. And, you know, a real big reason for Disney math is you've heard the phrase that time is money, but it's even more true at Disney. And why don't you tell us a little bit about why we think that, Leslie?
1: Yeah, so time really is money at Disney because you're paying a ticket cost for the day. And every minute that you're standing in a line and not squeezing a ride in, you're paying for, right? Disney offers you a way to buy some of that time back. You know, you can spend money to spend less time in line. And so the the incentives are really just structured in such a way that you're encouraged to buy more, to make more of that limited time that you have and you know, all of us, especially Americans, have very limited vacation time. So you really do feel the pressure to maximize every second. That you're in a disney park or at least you know the average person does i'm i'm really jealous of brits who like come to disney world and like spend like two weeks leisurely but that's not how most of us get vacation
0: you know you just made me realize we've always known that great britain has access to these 14 day tickets and yeah a lot of that is because of the way their vacations are structured whereas with americans disney knows that we only have limited vacation time so they won't sell us more than 10 tickets so you know that's That's Disney math working in Disney's favor right there. And yeah, we should say at the very top that the mouse knows his math and he never gets it wrong. This is good in the sense that, you know, they knew that they owed me $10 and wouldn't let me off the cruise, um, which I think I added the addendum, but I did end up getting that $10 back in the end. Like They make sure that all the money goes to who it's supposed to go to, whether it's to them or whether it's to you. But of course, it's all set up in a way that the majority of that money goes to them. Now, some examples, uh, simple examples for how you just buy some of your time back at Disney. I mean, I know you're a big fan of this, but in terms of transportation, even though the Disney buses are included, sometimes for time's sake, you're using ride shares, right?
1: Yeah, I use Uber and Lyft. And when my kids were younger, minivan, when I needed the car seat a little bit more, because if I'm going to be stuck at a bus stop for like 30 or 45 minutes and I can get there in a matter of you know, a couple of minutes in an Uber and it's, you know the Uber's $7 or $10, then, you know, it's really worth it to me. And yeah, those add up really quickly. It's like one Uber is only $7, but you look back at your week-long vacation and you realize, you know, you took six of them. So yeah, that adds up to a lot more money in, in the end. So I think a lot of people are, are probably guilty of this because of the inherent unreliability of transportation at Disney World.
0: Yeah. And then, like the new kind of phenomenon is paying extra to be on a Skyliner resort to eliminate that transportation issue to two of the Disney resorts. So, you know, if you're on a Skyliner resort, which is Pop Century, Art of Animation, Caribbean Beach Resort, or any of the deluxe resorts in the Epcot area, you have the Skyliner and access to Epcot and Hollywood Studios, and you don't need to worry about a bus at all or Uber or Lyft unless there's lightning out. And so, that's another simple example of how you can spend a little bit more money to buy some of that time back. And of course, Leslie, the biggest and most nefarious example these days.
1: Genie Plus and paid lightning lane. Guilty. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is just the most naked money grab example of this Disney math. This is, I don't want to stand in that 75 minute standby line. So I'm going to throw money at the problem and hopefully cut down on some of the weights. And I have to say, I do love it at Disneyland because I get a lot of value out of it. But at Disney World, it doesn't just sit as well with me because... I'm throwing money at the problem and I'm only solving the problem a little bit, but you know, there you go
0: yeah i almost feel like i I hate to say this um and i know you've been on this train more but i feel like the individual paid lightning lanes actually feel can feel more valuable because you know how much you're paying and you know what you're going to get you know you're going to get on rise of the resistance faster you know you're going to get on flight of passage faster whereas genie plus it's really your mileage may vary we've said that disney has updated so they're like oh you might get two or three rides which doesn't seem as worth it but then of course at disneyland it's totally different and i think i would I'd like to say Leslie that you and I are reasonable in that it's not a problem to buy our time back. It's a problem when you buy your time back and you don't know how much of it you're going to get back. Because at Disneyland, I can buy Genie Plus and I know that I could use that for six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 rides easy in a day. Whereas Disney World, it's just a lot more complicated to use and that's kind of why it's frustrating.
1: Yeah, exactly. I know if I'm buying it at Disneyland, absent a ride breakdown for the better part of the day, I'm going to get on all the rides I want to get on. Whereas at Disney World, if I buy it, I might not get Slinky Dog Dash or, you know, (laughs) something else, or I might have to miss out on two or three or four attractions that I really want to get and, you know, have a hard time fitting, even over the course of a longer vacation, you know, three or four days miss out on quite a few rides.
0: Exactly. Now these are more simple and obvious ways that you try to buy your time back, but I've realized in my own personal trip planning and also helping Um, some of my clients plan their trips that Disney math can really seep into your vacation in sneaky ways. And so we kind of want to make sure that you're aware of that when making decisions. And the best way we can do that, I think is by way of example, by talking about how you might think through a trip. And like Leslie said at the top, spending money at Disney, honestly, it makes it easier to spend more money um, because you just get so much closer to a better experience that you're just tempted to pay that little extra to that get to that next Step of the experience. And so let's run through an example here. And let's start with, you know, the example that the majority of Americans deal with. And that's, you know, if you've booked a Disney vacation during school vacation or a peak time, right? What's the first kind of thing that you're tempted by, Disney math wise?
1: Well, you're immediately tempted to stay on site because that way you get the early theme park entry every morning, which is just really key to getting a couple of attractions in with a very short wait. I remember. I guess it was over spring break this year. I had a good friend who went with a large family to Disney World for sort of the first time for their big extended family. And they stayed off site, as would make sense for kind of an extended family group. And they didn't get on anything. I mean, it was next to impossible for them to get in the rides during like a peak spring break week because they were staying off site. And by the time they got to the parks, the lines were really long. And it was kind of a wreck to vacation, at least in terms of getting in the rides that they wanted to get in. So I'm, I'm definitely always thinking of that when I'm going during a peak period, it's, it's almost a must have for me, because goodness, if you're paying 1000s of dollars for a vacation, and you're having days where maybe you're only getting on four rides, and you've waited five and six and seven hours for those four rides, that's that's a terrible experience.
0: Yeah. And it's messed up, but because the tickets have become so much more expensive, like relatively the hotels don't seem as expensive. So again, this is all Disney math and your brain is broken and causing you to make financial decisions that you would not normally make except for you're going to Disney world. And so you're making these and you know, for you, Leslie, obviously it's very different because you're coming all the way from the West coast to do it. And which is why you're tempted to first stay on site during peak time. But honestly, on top of that, once you're on site, you start looking at the All-Stars, they're $210 a night during peak times. But then you look at Pop Century and it's like $240 and you're like, oh, maybe I'll stay on the Skyliner, or buy some of that time back to have that transportation via the Skyliner to two of the theme parks. And really, for some people uh, in a different budget tier, you know, they might be tempted to even spring for a deluxe because you get extended evening hours at Magic Kingdom and Epcot, and even this December 2022 for two weeks only, Hollywood Studios. And it's like those extended evening hours, you know, that's buying even more of your time back by staying at a
1: deluxe resort.
0: And then, of course, Leslie, once you're on the Skyliner and Deluxe Resort, what else are you thinking about splurging on?
1: This is if you give a mouse a cookie. If you're staying. <laughs> it really is.
0: <laughs> Except for instead of giving a mouse a cookie, we're giving them all our money. But that's
1: yes. right. That's right. So if you're on the Skyliner in one of the deluxe resorts, then you're certainly going to be tempted to buy park hopper tickets because then you're really well positioned to hop during the middle of the day. And, you know, I saw this quite clearly when I was staying at Caribbean beach this past summer. I mean, I was going back, it was summertime to the hotel for a mid afternoon break. So of course I'm going to park hop, (laughs) you know, and I had several parks to hop to that were within easy transportation distance for, for there. So, you know, definitely the park hopper option becomes more tempting if you're, Staying someplace with better transportation connections and it's just going to make sense for your logistics of the day.
0: Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is something I actually have told people. I've been like, if you're looking at moderates and you're deciding between Caribbean Beach Resort and say Port Orleans Riverside, make sure you realize that if you stay at Caribbean Beach Resort, you're going to be tempted by the park hopper. Maybe not when you book your initial vacation, because of course it's Disney World and you're booking a vacation nine months in advance, which is crazy. But when you start getting down to brass tacks three months, two months away and start really looking at your plan, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm on the Skyliner anyway. Maybe I should just get that park hopper. So sometimes, you know, to protect yourself, you book a moderate like Coronado Port Orleans that isn't on the Skyliner to resist that temptation of getting that park hopper if you're trying to stay within the budget. And then of course, because you're there at school vacation and a peak time, I'm guessing that your friends who stayed offsite only got on a couple of rides. They may have not opted to buy Genie Plus on every day. And if you do that during a peak time, then all of a sudden you're waiting an hour and a half, two hours per attraction. Maybe not that much, maybe an hour to an hour and a half per attraction. But The standby lines are so crazy during, say, Christmas that you feel like you have to get Genie Plus to be able to get anything.
1: Yeah. And similarly, that you have to pay for paid lightning lane in order to ride some of those attractions. And and these buy-ups all become interrelated, right? So if you're staying off-site, you don't have access to paid lightning lane at 7 a.m. So you can't even buy it, even if you wanted to. That was the problem my friends had. They wanted to buy for Rise of the Resistance, but they're at a peak spring break period, and it's sold out by the time it's available for them to purchase it. So those are kind of the things that you have to think about. It's like, it's not just that one cost begets more costs, but you know, there's sort of this chain reaction of of foregoing one means that you don't even have the option of another. So <laughs> it's really a tricky web that you have to navigate.
0: It is a tangled web that Disney weaves because the reality is every family is not going to be tempted to buy up every single one of these things that we just listed on a given trip. But it's like if you go during a peak time, all of a sudden, all these things are options that you are thinking about and thinking about purchasing to make things easier for yourself. And then of course, at some point, people get so frustrated with all the decision making that they have to make that they do the ultimate spend money to buy your time back Disney item, which is the VIP tour, which is not in everyone's budget, but starts looking like it's in your budget when you are having a lot of these decisions. If you're like, say, uh, at a deluxe budget to start with.
1: Yes and that's exactly what people do. We have episode 218 where we covered this with my friend Yancey, who is not the traditional like splurge demographic to you know throw this kind of money at a VIP tour, but more and more people, more and more middle class people, you know, are are trying to find a way to squeeze that into their budget or share it with a friend or several friends because it is that better vacation experience and, and, and their ways, of course, she, she mentioned in that episode, how, you know, doing one day a VIP tour meant that they had fewer hotel nights, fewer ticket prices. I mean, it doesn't begin to make up the cost, but it does, uh, you know, at least put a dent in what you would pay for a multi-day Disney vacation.
0: For sure. So just to put some numbers behind this, like, for example, I took a look at, for two adults, two kids staying from December 25th, Christmas, to December 30th. Pretty much peak time, although not as peak as, you know, the most expensive day is New Year's Eve. Um, So for two adults and two kids at Pop Century with four-day tickets... That starts at $4,111.16. But then like we said, you're at Pop Century, you're on the Skyliner, you're tempted to add the Park Hopper. That's another $360 or so that gets you close to $4,500. And then you're there over Christmas. So then like, are you going to add Genie Plus? That's another $256. Um, And so that brings your vacation up to $4,729.26 only. Uh, If you do the same thing with the same add-ons to the Beach Club, that's about $7,750. Rounding. Let's talk now, Leslie, about how to avoid Disney math or how to use it to your favor, because those prices that I just gave you 4,700 for pop century for five nights, 7,500 for beach club for five nights. What do they look like when you're traveling at off peak times? Because just like you find purchases where you buy up for time, stack on top of each other during peak times, during off-peak times, you'll find that your savings can stack on top of each other.
1: Exactly. So just looking at early May, we priced out May 7th through May 12th. POP is $3,228.4. $0.04 just with non-park hopper tickets. So it's almost a $1,000 savings over that same vacation at Pop Century during Christmas and New Year's week. And then you can save even more at Beach Club compared to what it is during that peak period. Beach is $5,530.92. So that's almost $2,000 cheaper from what you paid during Christmas week. So really, like you're saying, those savings do stack on top of the other savings.
0: And then the great thing is, you know, we've been joking with all our episodes this month about how low the crowds have been. But when you go to off-peak time, and May is not as off-peak as September is, but, you know, September, I saw a message on a Facebook group last week that someone walked on to Rise of the Resistance during the last hour of park hours, which is just bananas. Like, it's not the last minute of park opening. It was like within the last hour or two of park opening. And so when you're in these off-peak times, you know, we gave you the prices with no Genie Plus, no Park Hopper, but you can make it work without those things during the off-peak times because there are so many less crowds. And I know that this all seems like common sense, but I think we are so... (laughs) I guess deep down, what I'm saying is, Leslie, pull your kids out of school. You're going to save a ton of money.
1: Yeah, that's just the reality. <laughs> so, you know, take those opportunities when you can, because, you know, I'm, I'm at the point where I've got an eighth grader and we really aren't going to be able to do that when we're in high school next year. So I'm glad we took those opportunities while she was in preschool and elementary school and et cetera, et cetera. So if you're in that stage, definitely do it now because it only gets harder.
0: Yeah, so let's end this episode by talking about some advice we have for how to avoid being subject to Disney math playing trickery with your brain, or how to at least prepare yourself mentally for dealing with it. So, for example, you know, I'll start. If you're going at an offbeat time, it's annoying that Disney has made it that you cannot pre-purchase Genie Plus on your tickets. However, if you're going at an offbeat time, You can use that to your advantage, which is something you couldn't do before. You can avoid adding Genie Plus at the beginning and just wait to see what the crowds are like on day one, day two, maybe even individual lightning lane. You know, if it's light enough that you can live without it, you're saving for a family of four $60 plus tax right there. So that's one way that, you know, if you're off peak, uh, even if you're on an on-peak time, you can weigh it out. But you know, make sure you really need Genie Plus before you buy
1: it. Yeah, I think that's a great tip. And I know a lot of people were kind of taken by surprise recently, crowds were even lower in early September than a lot of people expected. So if you had purchased Genie Plus in advance, you kind of had something that maybe you didn't need. So I guess there's a little silver lining now to Disney not allowing those pre-purchases for Walt Disney World. So another thing that you can do to sort of avoid the impact of Disney math is to pick a property where you'll be less tempted to pay for certain incidentals. And for me, that's staying in a place that has good transportation, so I can avoid the Uber trap as much. And, you know, it, it's a spectrum. For me, like if I'm on a solo trip, I'll pay a little bit more for Pop Century because it's on the Skyliner than I will say over the All-Stars but i won't pay for a deluxe i won't even pay for caribbean beach so i'm paying a tiny bit more but then i'm avoiding the ubers that i would be having you know because of the frustrations of some of the transportation so i think if you maybe spend a little bit more you might get the enough convenience that will stop you from spending a whole lot more
0: i totally agree the next thing that we would recommend is as as much as you can try to set aside a budget for your splurges i would suggest make it A little bit bigger than you're probably comfortable with, but not too big. Like if you make it at least mentally for me, psychologically, I don't like, I'm not, I guess I'm not good enough at sticking to like a really tight budget and then I'll go over it and then I'll start feeling bad. And then when I feel bad about going over the budget, then all of a sudden my Disney math brain kicks in and maybe I'll just like go even more over the budget and you you just don't want to be in that situation. So one suggestion that I have is you can set your budget for what you'll spend on splurges, whether it be genie plus souvenirs, uh, individual lightning lanes, and then buy a Disney gift card to cover those purchases and whatever you have set aside, say it's $400, it's on that Disney gift card and you use only, you only use your Disney gift card for that. So that's one way to make sure you don't overspend. And then another really thing, really important thing to do kind of uh, meta wise is decide whether the extra money you're going to spend, like when you do splurge, do you want it to be on luxury and comfort and Um, just having a nicer experience or do you want it to straight up save you time or what's the breakdown going to be? I think mentally knowing and having a plan, at least knowing that like, I prefer I'm going to prefer to spend more of my money on saving time. So I'm going to buy more genie plus and lightning lanes and less things like souvenirs or nice meals. I think that'll help you as you budget and you go into your actual trip because it it's dicey. Once you're there, it's hot. Your kids are whining. It's, it's hard to stick to things if you haven't thought about it before.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. It's important to think about what you and your family values and what contributes to making your vacation more memorable and how you spend your money. And and I'd add to that, Joe, be careful of the magic band. I mean, that is the easiest way to start spending a lot of little money here and there. And, you know, like you say, keep that on that gift card, put things on that gift card to the extent you can. I mean, sometimes the magic band is really convenient because your hands are full and you're juggling a lot of stuff with kids and, you know, certainly like a festival booth in Epcot, you know, that's the way that I prefer to pay for things. But if you find you're much too likely to tap that band and buy that bottled water or diet Coke in my case, and that adds up a lot over the course of the vacation, then stop.
0: Yeah. It's more painful. I, I don't care. I mean, we're generally a cashless society these days, but if you need it to help you pay cash and, uh, you know, it, you'll feel it more than tapping your band, which feels like, you know, it is nefarious, Leslie. It is nefarious, the Magic Band. You could pay uh, 35 to $50 for the one that uh, will light up for you, too. So. Yeah,
1: cost beget costs, plus. right? <laughs> yes, cost
0: beget costs, indeed. Um, the other thing is, you know, you really need to prepare yourself so you know what upcharges are going to be out there. And what you're going to be subject to if you're listening to this podcast you probably heard of a lot of them and then like we said you can go back to episode 169 but you want to be mentally prepared for what is out there that you can spend for at disney world so you're not caught off guard and so that you know what is worth it and what is valuable and um we i think did a pretty good job in that episode to at least let you know what those different spending splurges would get you um and so come in with knowledge, do your research before. Of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you're doing your research and that's great.
1: That's right. And finally, I think it's really important for folks to try to enjoy the non-ride aspects of the park. For those of us who are ride junkies, (laughs) I think a lot of the temptation, you know, buy the time to spend less time in line to ride more rides in a single day, that really, you know, does feed into this, this frenzy that causes you to spend a lot more money. But there's a lot of other things at Disney that are so enjoyable that don't cost you extra money go enjoy some of the shows um the characters the parades the fireworks and take a break from that forced march of happiness and that forced march of credit card charges because that i think does contribute to adding up the costs of a disney vacation
0: yeah remember there is plenty to do at walt disney world without even having to go on to rides there's a lot to enjoy there's a lot to explore Um, one thing that is on my list To do next time we're at Walt Disney World is the Pirates Adventure thing. They're like mini quests. It's outside of Pirates of the Caribbean. Go back to our Ride Guide episode on Pirates to know whether it's Caribbean or Caribbean. But uh, yeah, stuff like that is really fun. Uh, They're like 15-minute quests. The kids really enjoy it. Stuff like that. I'm, I'm sure. I know my kids. I know they'll really like that. And we can spend a couple hours doing that. I know Agent Pease is gone right now and Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom isn't there right now, but I think they are starting these things again. And, of course, if you did spend the money on Magic Band Plus, you can play the new Batu Bounty Hunters game at Hollywood Studios. So there's lots of stuff that you can do. There's shows to watch, parades to watch. There's lots of stuff you can do that are not rides, and you're going to be less liable to try to buy time back if you're just taking your time and enjoying that. So
1: Totally agree. All right, Joe, well, let's close this one out with our traditional Disney do or don't. What do you have for us?
0: All right. This is splurge related with souvenirs, and I will put the caveat that this is my own personal experience, but from what I've seen on the internet, I think it's pretty universal. My Disney don't is don't buy any of the car, like especially the die cast metal car things that you see uh, in the gift shops that are very tempting for kids, including, uh, the monorail models and stuff like that. Every time we brought it home, I think what happens is that our kids play with them the way that kids would play with die cast cars and they break like wheels have come off the buses that we got. I had a bus that had goofy, like sticking out, like physically sticking out. He broke off the monorail, like ripped in the middle, uh, where the accordion section is. I don't think my kids are much rougher than your average kid. I really think that those die cast models are meant to be displayed, not to be played with. But of course, if you buy it for your kid, they're going to want to play with it. So my Disney don't is don't spend your money on that. If you're going to get a souvenir, get something that you know is going to be reliable, like a misting fan, which we said in previous episodes, or a t-shirt or something like that. Um, But a lot of these toys, they are of questionable craftsmanship. And I will say, I guess a Disney do corollary to my Disney don't is that if you do let your kids play with the stuff in the hotel room, they might break it before you leave and then they'll give you a refund. Big tip there.
1: (laughs) I don't even know what to say to that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, speaking from personal experience, that's all I can say.
1: (laughs) That's how quality the uh, items are for sale at Disney. There you go.
0: All right. Well, that is How we think you can be tricked by Disney math, but also how you can prepare yourself so that you do not spend as much money and are not as susceptible to the splurges that Disney math often causes people to do. I think maybe he'll talk in our unfiltered episode this month, Leslie, about how Disney Math is possibly going to make me spend a ton of money and make me look like a complete hypocrite. But uh if you want to hear that, check us out at patreon.com slash Disney Deciphered. But thank you everyone so much for listening. If you have been if you have been susceptible to Disney Math in the past, email us disneydeciphered at gmail.com, tweet at us at ww deciphered on Twitter, or find us on Facebook and Instagram, Disney Deciphered. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Other than that, Leslie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And I will see you trying to justify a vip tour to yourself
1: thanks joe
0: but you have to take me too